You're listening to Global Conversations. Welcome to Global Conversations. My name is Paige Smith, and today I have quite an interesting episode for you. We are joined by a fellow classmate of mine. His name is Imran Bayoumi. Today, him and I are going to be talking about some recent news uh, with the new president-elect. We're going to be talking about topics regarding multilateralism, what foreign policy might look like for the new president-elect, and perhaps a skeptical approach to what might be coming in the future. Um, Welcome, Imran. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Imran, do you think you could give us an overview of your article and sort of break down some of the points you made regarding Joe Biden, his idea of foreign policy, and what multilateralism might look like during this new presidential term? Well, thanks for having me, Paige. Um, So yeah, I'll give a brief overview of my article. I basically wrote... um, how a Biden presidency, uh, I wrote it before he was elected, a Biden presidency won't uh, mean a return to this kind of U.S. multilateralism that we've experienced in the past and that we've come to know. Um, And I highlight two reasons for this. The first is that um, the U.S. has kind of been in decline uh, way before Trump, is what I argue, um, going back to the Bush administration. And the second reason is that um, while the U.S. has been in decline, China has grown and um, it's kind of on pace to overtake the U.S. um, as the world's uh, premier power. So there's no real place and no real way for Biden to to navigate the U.S. back to the global stage. Thank you. First off, I want to say I really enjoyed reading your article and I would highly recommend it to any listeners um, to go and check out uh, Imran's article on globalconversations.com. Imran, I'm really excited to actually jump into some questions and kind of get your opinion on what can be attributed to potentially the decline of the American state on the global stage. My first question is, what do you believe has led to an isolationist policy within the Trump administration? And how do you think this has affected the American decline on the world stage and within foreign policy as a leader amongst other nations in the world? Yeah, so I think in answering that question, maybe it's helpful to go back a bit first. Um, And so I think you have to really go back to uh, like around 2003 when Bush um, invaded Iraq and kind of went against the uh, UN Security Council and this left a sour taste in a lot of states' minds. Um, This kind of shows like you know, the U.S. doesn't have to play by the rules and doesn't have to play by the books and uh, really doesn't have any regard for any other state but itself. And then I think even under Obama, I mean, like the Iraq war continued. You had Afghanistan, um, Libya. You really had a interventionist policy um, that really left a sour taste in a lot of states' uh, mouths. You know, here's the U.S. getting involved in wars halfway across the world Um and kind of endless wars that just had civilians killed left, right, and center. Um, and then um, you speed up to Trump now, and I think what you've seen is um, Trump has really kind of pushed away traditional American allies. So if Obama and Bush kind of pushed away 
um, other states, it's Trump has really damaged uh, the U.S.'s relations with its traditional allies. And I mean, you can you can kind of see that through. I mean, his withdrawal from the um, the Paris Climate Accords, um, though Biden has said he's going to rejoin that, or um, Trump's uh, a decision to not go along with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, and then even Trump's decision to abandon the Iran nuclear deal. It's it, he's really kind of taken this America first policy and and made the U.S. quite isolationist. Um, and I and think that's really harmed his relationship with maybe the traditional allies in, in Western Europe. I like the idea of stepping back. And I think you've kind of captured a lot of the intricacies of the moving pieces that are taking place and really why this is a very multifaceted topic. And I do, I guess, want to jump into some of the main arguments of your article touch on why you believe the U.S. and potentially this optimism we all hold after Joe Biden has recently become elected. We're all sort of hoping, I guess, and wishing and pleading that Joe Biden's going to reverse some of the damage that might have happened in the last four years and rejoin some of these alliances. And try to piece back together a more familiar world for us, I'd say. And I guess I'm asking you, in your opinion, what does your article kind of touch on as to why this transition from an isolationist state that the Trump administration has somewhat created to a Biden administration that is looking to create new alliances and create new Western democratic hemispheres of influence? And what, in your opinion, is standing in the way as an obstacle to the United States becoming a multilateral state that I think we're all hoping to see? What will stand in the way of this being a seamless process? So I argue there is that um, while kind of the U.S. has been in decline since Bush, China has steadily grown and, and steadily risen, right? And um, the way um, they've done this is through the Belt and Road Initiative, um, which is basically a major infrastructure undertaking. Uh, one of the ways they've done this, sorry, is through the Belt and Road Initiative, which is a, a major infrastructure um, project that kind of reaches from Asia down through Africa and then also into Europe. Um, and so China has been like, building ports, uh, railroads, airports, highways, um, infrastructure such as dams, power plants, that kind of stuff. Um, and they've really been expanding their footprint on the world stage, um, you know, their presence and kind of really making themselves known. And, and you know, while the U.S. has kind of uh, shrunk, China has grown and, and it's not so much for Biden to sign a couple of treaties and say we're back. It's to sign a couple of treaties and then also have to deal with, okay, how do we now deal with China? Who's, who's right there? No, absolutely. Um, you also mentioned in your article a little bit about the role of China in regard to COVID-19 and um, its reaction, I guess, to the pandemic. Um, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think that goes back to kind of the Belt and Road Initiative too, because what we've seen is China 
um, distributing a lot of aid mm-hmm. uh, to partner countries within the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, so it's, it's like PPE and ventilators. And um, it's, it's interesting. It's almost a way for China to maybe repair its image or get ahead of its image being damaged in, in the wake of COVID-19. And, um, you know, people are certainly talking about that had China been more willing to share data, perhaps the pandemic would not have been as bad as it's been so far. And so we can really see this kind of like PR campaign from China to get ahead of this and, and really um, clean up its image. Mm-hmm. So another question I have. So in your article, you use the terms soft and hard power. Um, can you speak to, I guess, what you mean when you explain China in regards to these two types of power? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, soft power, I, I view it as like non-coercive, non-military based power. So this is really what the Belt and Road Initiative is for me, right? So the Belt and Road Initiative provides these infrastructure projects through either grants or loans given to, to individual countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's this kind of, here you go, um, here's a loan, and then we'll also build you a giant highway that this loan will then pay for. Right. And so it's this really kind of um, um, non non military based approach to to gaining um, people in your camp. And then hard power um, is is kind of like gaining people in your camp through coercing them. So I think in China, you can kind of see this up in the buildup of military bases in the South China Sea and, you know, the flyovers um, of Chinese aircraft over Taiwan and um, a really firm stance there. And I think with China too, it's interesting because you see, also see it, um, the line gets blurred at some stages. So I know in, in Sri Lanka, for example, um, uh, originally with soft power, a Chinese um, development for a port there, um, Sri Lanka wasn't able to pay its loans and defaulted. And now China has seized control of the port, um, which then raises questions and concerns that they're using it as, uh, or that has the potential to become a military base. And we see a similar thing in Pakistan where uh, China's building a a giant port right there um, on the Pacific Ocean. And I mean, you know, Sri Lanka and Pakistan are very close to India, which is traditionally um, a rival in China's eyes. So you kind of see right now it's maybe under the guise of soft power, but it definitely has the potential to become hard power. Um, and then I think another interesting thing with China is a lot of these aid, a lot of these aid deals and these loans, which are traditionally soft power, are prefaced on states who accept these loans, um, not recognizing Taiwan, um, which then you know still soft power, but definitely bordering on the kind of coercive nature that we associate with hard power. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you for those very clear definitions. Next, I do want to talk about perhaps what your opinion might be. Um, I will mention in a few moments uh, maybe where your opinion and my opinion might contrast a bit, um, maybe as a pessimist and an optimist. But I would love to ask you, in your opinion, what could be done by the Biden administration to allow for greater multilateralism on the world stage and what would these actions need to do to translate successfully uh, despite the obstacles you mentioned earlier and in your article particularly? 
So I think I think that's a really interesting question, Paige. And I think it goes back to kind of what I mentioned before, where Biden's, you know, commitment to multilateralism is really going to um, shore up support amongst traditional allies. But I, I don't think that's enough anymore. I think um, <clears throat> you kind of have to have the backing of of not just Western Europe, but of the rest of the world, because there is a world outside of North America and Western Europe. And I think it's, um, you know, usually these the U.S. kind of forgets that, and uh, except when they're waging war, maybe would be a, a fair thing to say, or when these states serve for their advantage. Um, <clears throat> so. I think in like um, translating into foreign policy, I, I'm not sure there's really a, a feasible path forward because, um, you know, I, I believe the Belt and Road Initiative has really cemented China's place, um, definitely in Africa, definitely in Asia, and and now reaching into Europe. Um, and there's no, I don't believe there's any political will or capital or um, even the funds to undertake a, a equivalent project by the United States. Um, and so without that, I, I don't really see how the U.S. and under Biden can make inroads into, um, like, really um, um, substantial inroads into, into areas that's long neglected, maybe except for going to Warren. Um, I mean, you know, joining the WHO is only going to get you so far. If another country is offering to build you a national highway system, um, chances are you're going to side with the country that is going to invest much needed infrastructure, right? And so without that, I'm not sure there's really a, a clear path forward for the Biden administration. Um, besides, like I've said before, just kind of reaffirming its commitment to its traditional allies. Yes, and thank you, Imran. I will sort of, as I mentioned a bit earlier, maybe contrast your opinion just a little bit. I, as I mentioned earlier, am truly quite captivated by your article and by uh, the topic of multilateralism and where, where the U.S. might be headed, I guess, in the next four years. I will say that I was really excited to have you on the show and I've really had such a great time hearing from you and um, sort of engaging in these really interesting um, topics and really trying to, I guess, as two first years master's students can, um, kind of predict where the future might be heading and uh, what might be standing in the way of uh, America's new goals to kind of reunify a global stage through the process of multilateralism. I will say that I think my opinion of the Biden administration and this new direction towards multilateralism uh, can really be seen as a first step towards regaining some normalcy, perhaps, uh, and hopefully improvement on the world stage regarding human rights issues, such as trade issues, environmental standards. And um, I think there is just a lot of backtracking that needs to be done that I think I, as much as I agree with your article, I think 
perhaps there's a lot more also to be said about the new Biden administration rejoining and going forward with um, a lot of new investments and um, sort of projects that will unite countries on a strong front, uh, perhaps in the face of countries that might not follow climate change regulations or human rights regulations. And I think this new allied multilateral sort of uh, direction that the Biden administration is going with vis-a-vis um, -vis setting up stronger relations with the EU, which as we know, the Trump administration uh, very much <laughs> did not create or strengthen. I think these new multilateral fronts uh, in big topics uh, that require globalization and the strength in numbers uh, really makes me feel optimistic. And what I'll say is that does not remove, of course, any merit from the rising concern of China and the implications that that will absolutely have in the near future for a reversal of perhaps this American decline that we're discussing today. I really enjoyed your article for that reason as it really broke down um, maybe some of the background and what we need to know and perhaps manage our expectations for um the few i i think it will too but i i think it like kind of goes back to um you have to question like how strong are these institutions that biden wants to go back to and um you know how capable are they really of 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 enacting change and and being a vehicle for change i definitely agree that you know multilateralism is the way forward i'm just i'm not maybe as confident as you that it is mm -hmm. it's going to be successful i think it'll be more successful than bilateralism um you know i i think trump's policy of um abandoning the tpp and and really just negotiating with china one-on-one -on -one was uh not well thought out and um and i think his his trade war has certainly hurt um like many american producers um but i'm not sure biden would um um, would have been able, had he, or if he engages in a trade war, uh, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to negotiate a better outcome versus a multilateral um, dispute or, or process. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, I, I do agree. And I think, I think I'm maybe largely looking at it from a, uh, more of a sort of health and climate change sort of uh, position where I think like multilateralism perhaps is the answer. Maybe mm -hmm. I, I do think like, I think a lot of strides sort of need to be made within global trade. Um, but I think like this multilateralism and perhaps why I'm so optimistic um, with the Biden administration is like, the Biden administration is of course like looking to, as you mentioned, like rejoin the W. HO, right? Um, that was sort of scheduled uh, by the Trump administration 
that the U.S. would exit on like July 6th, 2021. Um, mm-hmm. The Biden administration is looking to kind of put together this more collective security based um, effort towards, of course, um, defeating the pandemic and moving forward, I guess, um, with like vaccines and treatment and um, regaining some normalcy, I guess. Uh, so I think maybe I'm looking at it from more of a health angle. Um, and I think, as I mentioned a second ago, climate change as well, where it's just like multilateralism seems like the only answer. Um, in my opinion, I think it is, um, where it's just like, we need to start building these regulatory um, systems where we will kind of tax, I think it's the carbon adjustment tax, um, which Biden is, I think it was in his campaign, um, where he would uh, tax countries that don't meet the climate targets, um, but they wish to trade with the US. So I think it's these sort of um, multilateral agreements that I think are going to happen in the near future. And I think, uh, keep me optimistic and um, make me feel like that the US can kind of regain some of the normalcy that they see on the world stage. Yeah, I definitely I think I think that's a really good point. I think you have you do have to distinguish between um, kind of what you're aiming or what you're hoping to achieve. And I, I think you're right there that um, maybe the prospects are brighter in terms of health and, and climate change really like kind of pressing existential issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important to, to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for engaging um, in this conversation, I guess somewhat debate around the transition from the Trump administration to the new exciting Biden administration. Although um, we might all be feeling quite optimistic, I think it's important to kind of take a rationalist perspective sometimes when we're looking at okay, like what is actually going to be happening starting January and what might this foreign policy translate into in regards to building trade agreements and engaging in climate change regulations. Um, I, yeah, I've had a really great time. Thank you so much, Imran, for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Paige. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks again to our guest, Imran Bayoumi, today. I hope everyone tunes in for more Global Affairs podcasts and have a great day, everyone.